0: Good morning and happy Sabbath. Uh, I want to welcome those who are visiting here in person and welcome those who are visiting online. Uh, today, this is graduation weekend for the university, um, and we want to say congratulations to those who have completed their degrees. Tomorrow is also Mother's Day, so shout out to uh, the mothers who nurture and uh, have raised us from birth. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause in our Sabbath morning to invite you to come with us, uh, send your angels and your Holy Spirit to guide our uh, lesson today and our conversation. Uh, please continue to uh, shower your blessings on this class, both uh, individually and collectively, so that we can be instruments to hasten your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're doing lesson number eight in the uh, quarterly for Genesis the lesson spends the first three days in this week uh, on God's command to sacrifice Isaac, okay? In my personal experience, uh, I have found that this is one of the most misunderstood stories in all of Scripture. And talking with friends and family and, and even having discussions with patients about this. Yes, sometimes uh, patient discussions do get around to things like this. And rightly understood, under if you understand it through a design law lens, is one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. The simple fact that I I've I've had I've had people tell me uh non believers or skeptics have, have, have uh, said to me that well, I, what kind of a god would ask uh, someone to for a human sacrifice? And my reply is, well, God didn't actually allow Adam uh to Abraham to go through with it. I mean the, this the simple fact is that Isaac wasn't sacrificed. God intervened to prevent that. Uh, and that usually leads to some mumbled response that uh, doesn't uh, the skeptic will will always be looking to be a skeptic in my experience. And then we're gonna, we're going to get to this in the question and answer uh, session as well. Uh, some questions about skeptics. Um, so in Sabbath's lesson, uh, first, paragraph, first paragraph, finally, as God promised, Sarah bore Abraham a son, quote, in his old age. They want to make that very clear that it was in his old age. Um, it was also in Sarah's old age, too. And history w- had shown us that the problem with conceiving was not on Abraham's part. Because he conceived a son with Hagar. Okay, the problem was with Sarah's reproductive system. Okay, and God performed a miracle to allow Sarah to become pregnant in her old age. She was well past. She frankly, she was well past childbearing years. Even if she had held a, had a, a healthy reproductive system, but I, I don't think she did, and I think God performed a miracle to heal that in order to allow her to become pregnant via abraham and this way isaac is one of the one of the seven miracle births that tim talks about There in the old testament there's seven miracle births and isaac is one of the seven because god performed a miracle to allow sarah to become pregnant and that way isaac is a prefigures christ and and we're going to unpack that a little more in, in uh subsequent uh a little later in the lesson uh, so, in his old age, but the story of Abraham is far from over, reaching a climactic moment when he took his son to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. Isaac, however, is replaced by the lamb, which has signified God's commitment to bless the nations through his, quote, seed. This is referencing uh, Genesis 22. That capital seed, of course, was Jesus. Hence, in this astonishing and in some ways troubling story, more of the plan of salvation is revealed. Um, how many of you find this story troubling? Anybody?
1: I did until reading in Patriarchs and Prophets, where it talks about when God wanted Abraham to offer Isaac, it was a story for the universe, not just for uh, not just for that time. Also, we must remember Satan doesn't know the end from the beginning. God wanted to show how faithful, trustworthy Abraham was. God knew that he was not gonna to have to sacrifice his son, but Satan didn't know, nor did Abraham, nor did the universe. But it's also a story for us today to understand what grace is, how grace, and it helped Abraham to understand what the future held for God's people in the grace that God gave us by giving his son.
0: well said. Uh, It also helped Isaac to understand some things as well, didn't it? Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Abraham developed an understanding of what God's perspective was in giving up his son. Capital S O N for the universe for the um for the salvation of mankind. Isaac understood what it was like to be that son SON trusting in his father.
1: He felt it was a privilege
0: to be his wife. Yeah. And we'll 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 unpack that a little more and, uh, subsequently as well. Um so yeah, I I'm I'm kinda with you. I when I held on to the imposed law perspective, and I did, I was raised in it and for well nigh 40 plus years uh i i was my brain was wired that uh god's law functions just like human laws where he arbitrarily imposes it he arbitrarily enforces it arbitrarily polices it and his um adjudications are arbitrary as well okay i have since I have had to unlearn that and it's been it's a painful process. I don't know if any of you are are dealing with it right now or have dealt with it. It's a difficult and painful process to unlearn it and relearn the design law. Now the design law makes a lot more sense now and understanding design law better as I do, I can never go back to imposed law. I can and will never go back to an imposed law mindset. And it's like, it's like coming out of a cave into the light and preferring the darkness. I'd rather, I'd rather operate in the light. But yes, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, I saw this as a, a really troubling story at one time. Now it's one of the more eloquent and beautiful ones. All right, Sunday's lesson, Mount Moriah. So put, put yourself for a minute in Abraham's 120-year-old shoes. Okay, he'd already listened to his wife, Sarah, and taken Hagar as uh, as a concubine and fathered Ishmael. Uh, and he loved Ishmael. However, Ishmael was, we, we've uh, unpacked in previous lessons, Ishmael was the product of human endeavor. It was humans trying to fix the problem instead of letting God fix the problem. So Abraham and Sarah made a conscience and Hagar. Well, I don't know how much decision Hagar had in the process, but anyway, Abraham and Sarah decided, well, we're going to produce offspring our way. And they did. But Ishmael was not the son of the promise, unless you're Muslim. If you're Muslim... Ishmael was the son of the promise, and Isaac was not. Ishmael was the favored one. Isaac was not. Okay, let that breathe a little bit.
1: Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God
0: does. Yes, Yeah. Yeah. not just one. He has multiple counterfeits. Um, and counterfeits of counterfeits. And multiples of multiples. Uh, and that's why... <coughs> That's why our, that's one of the reasons our ministry has, has, um, I, I won't say develop because it's always been there, but, but it's it, what we describe as the evidence-based learning system of the, the harmonizing the three, three threads of evidence, scripture,
2: experience,
0: experience and <laughs> science. science slash reality uh and when those three threads harmonize we can discern truth with a capital T
2: don't you think it's also why the ministry has been so accepted across denominations or non-denominations
0: yes because because this is how it's how reality functions uh, yeah this this methodology transcends Sex differences it transcends. Age differences it transcends. Racial differences, religious differences it transcends. Wealth differences, socioeconomic status it transcends everything.
1: It's the first time everything is cohesive and makes sense.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Because it's a great description of how how God's reality, how reality actually functions. Understand that in each of those three threads, science, scripture, and uh, experience. Truth with a lower T can exist. But when you harmonize them all, then you get truth with a capital T. For example, in in experience, 150 years ago, it was truth that men could not fly. We couldn't fly. Is that true today? No, we, we can we can get on our smartphone, we can buy a ticket, and we can go fly the same day. We can get on a plane and be halfway around the world in 12 hours. So that truth from 150 years ago, in their experience, that was truth. And our experience is not truth now. Now, the physics of flight
1: hasn't changed.
0: Hasn't changed. The science of flight was always there. So in the, in the science realm... That truth, that was true 150 years ago. Now, fair, to be fair, men were riding up in hot air balloons and, and being um, slaved wherever the wind took them. So there was some flight occurring. But I'm talking about flight with intent to, to go from destination A to destination B. Um, the science was there. And I don't know what... I don't know that scripture has a whole lot to say about human flight. But scripture is, is still describes the laws of reality. So harmonizing those is one of the, harmonizing those three threads of evidence is one of the things that we we try to focus on and try to um prioritize in our ministry. And back to the lesson. Um, Ishmael was a product of human efforts. We went over that. Sarah's reproductive capability was restored and Isaac was born, quote, the child of the promise. Now, I don't, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak for parents. But I suspect that Abraham's love for Isaac may have exceeded that for Ishmael. Now, I have no doubt that I, Abraham loved Ishmael, but I, I think that the child, Born of the promise of, of his, his first wife's reproductive system being restored. I think there may have been some, a little more affection for, uh, Israel, for, excuse me, for Isaac than there was for Ishmael. I don't know for sure. Any parents want to chime in about, um, differences of affection for your kids while you're on camera and they may be watching? <laughs> <laughs> I know politically, I love all my children the same.
3: (laughs) I know it said that it was very painful for him to send Ishmael away. Sure. No
0: doubt. I have no doubt of why. I think it was probably painful to send Hagar away.
3: So how much he loved Isaac, you know, who knows.
0: It's it's speculation and maybe idle speculation.
3: You know, how many years had he had with Isaac that he didn't even have with Ishmael?
0: I mean, after he sent Ishmael away?
3: I mean, there was years of, of bonding
0: yeah. that was gone on,
3: too, that he didn't have with Ishmael. Fair enough.
2: And you would think even if he did feel special affection for Isaac, I would think that he would also be racked with guilt over that, for the fact that maybe he felt something special for one of his children over another child.
0: Uh, That's a point I hadn't considered. Yeah. uh, And and I suspect uh, there's some insight there. Um, again, not having any myself. I don't know how, I don't know how parents, um, I don't know how their brains function. Okay. I, I suspect that there's a, a quote, equal amount of love. But when, when you have one child who, Functions in harmony with a family unit and one child who's the black sheep. I imagine there's some some issues that develop. There have to be. It doesn't mean you love them less. But I suspect you yearn maybe a little more for the one who's struggling. Anyway, uh, it, it doesn't. Even though let's let's go with the premise that, that Abraham had uh, maybe some increased affection for Isaac. It did not. It did not manifest itself in Isaac being spoiled, like on down the road a couple of generations when uh, Jacob, the, uh, the the last child of Isaac's, uh, may have been treated differently than the other eleven, and elevated and perhaps spoiled. Indulged, so shall we say? Well, that was with Esau and
1: Jacob. Whereas the father favored Esau, and the mother favored
0: Jacob. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the child of Jacob. Thank you. I'm, I'm talking about Joseph. Yeah. The, the code of many colors. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm one more generation on down the road. Yeah. So, so the, the children of Jacob, uh, the Joseph uh, from Jacob's line, line, may have been uh, overtly indulged. Because he came from the wife that that uh, Jacob preferred, loved, and wanted to begin with.
1: Well, just think of starting a marriage off with deceit. How difficult that would be.
0: It's done every day. (laughs) I'm sorry. It is. Um, It's done. (laughs) Not relate. Well, okay, not not to that degree, but. Relationships are begun to deceive daily. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Do we want to get down those weeds? (laughs) How many ladies are wearing makeup in here today? (laughs) Okay. Are 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 we not deceiving the the folks about our actual appearance? (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing a favor to us. be thankful thankful. that's funny (laughs) so okay so if if we want if we really want to unpack deception let's do that i I don't think we want to do that today but to your point yes uh to to imagine that you had fallen in love with a woman and her dad switches (laughs) the old switcheroo on you the wedding night
1: and you work seven years together
0: and you've you've worked your tail off for um yeah for seven years to to pay her dowry that
1: would be called the great deception
0: be one of them and then you submit to another seven years just to get the the woman you love yeah okay all right well we're 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 getting off track here what else is new um so God develops a deep affection for I God Abraham develops a deep affection for Isaac of course the child of the promise the the line through which the savior of all mankind is going to come and then one day God says I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him and and prove to me that you actually you you're willing to do this did God need proof that I that, that Abraham no. Of course not. Yes. I mean, are we? Are we to? I've heard this. I've heard this theory advance. I've heard this advance from pulpits. That God needed evidence that uh, Abraham would be faithful. this is horse manure. He didn't need any evidence. He knew. He knew from the beginning what would happen. Who needed the evidence? Yeah,
1: everybody.
0: Abraham. The looking universe and uh-huh. us and. Abraham, thank you. Abraham needed the evidence. Think about that. I mean, put yourself in Abraham's place. What would go through your head? If you were asked, if, if an angel of the Lord came to you tonight and said, sacrifice your oldest child.
1: But Abraham thought that if he had gone through with it, the Lord would resurrect
0: Isaac. Okay. Abraham did reason that.
4: It was a process he had to go through, and I believe in essence he did sacrifice because you have to, in your mind, surrender totally to God's decisions, and we have to do the same thing in our heart and mind first before the actual event happened. And he didn't have to do
0: the actual event. Well, I, think, I think it's a great point. Yeah. He, he committed into, in, in his head and heart. God has asked this. I have questions. I don't have answers, but where God leads, I will follow. And he, he did reason that, uh, if, if God gave me this child as a miracle, if, uh, if he wants to resurrect Isaac, he, he, he has the power and can do that. And the capability to do that, yes.
4: I heard this from my father. I haven't heard it from anyone else, and I don't know, if it's, you know, what you think about it. But my father was a Bible scholar. He wasn't a pastor, but he was very involved in teaching and preaching and all that. And he said, of course, in our culture, you know, that he said that probably Isaac Abraham thought. That Isaac was going to be the savior, just like Jesus, just like Jesus would be, uh, because God promised that out of the loins of Isaac a savior would be born. And so he probably thought maybe this is the savior. And of course, at that time people were offering children and so forth as sacrifices. So he just proceeded to do it, thinking this is God's.
3: Salvation
0: to man. But, yeah, so, so. Uh, well, I'm not sure I agree. Uh, I, God had been quite clear that God was going to, like you said, produce a seed, capital S, through the lineage. and And I don't know that Abraham thought that his son was that seed, capital S. Uh, I'm sure he had questions about how that was going to be accomplished if <laughs> if Isaac would, were dead and were unable to reproduce. But I don't, I don't know. The scripture's silent on whether or not Abraham thought that. Um,
4: he also knew that God felt about human sacrifice, which made Abraham say, okay, if you're against this, why are you telling me to do this, the process that he had to go through? I mean, I would go through that process. Um, I trust you, and I'll do what
0: you said. Again, scripture is silent on on how Abraham felt about child sacrifice. I suspect that he he was taken out of a uh, culture that allowed or even embraced that human sacrifice to appease gods. Yeah. But um, whether Abraham, whether that was still part of Abraham's thought process and still part of his. Um, um, zeitgeist, for lack of a better word, his current cultural uh, thinking—I, uh, I don't know. I haven't read any—I haven't read scripture or any inspired writing um, suggesting that or suggesting otherwise.
4: Well, it may point mean that God was not for human sacrifice. I mean
5: that—that that was a fact.
0: Well, if you want to take that down, it's uh, to his logical conclusion, God wasn't against any sacrifice. God's not God's not the god of death and destruction. God's the god of life. Okay, do you think do you think God delighted in the sacrifice of all the the bulls and goats and rams and pigeons and and all the sacrifices and yet he he, he ordained that to teach a lesson. I had this conversation with a patient earlier this week, um, who was raised in a was raised in a, in a Jewish environment, and I asked him, "Well, who who cut the who cut the lamb's throat?" And He said, "The high priest." I said, "No, the sinner cut the throat of the animal." And it startled him. He literally went, he went back that day and looked it up and called me. He said, you're right. The sinner cut the throat. Why? Why did God ordain the sacrificial system so that the sinner cut the throat of the animal to be sacrificed? Experience. God doesn't kill because God, Christ, God slash God was representative of the high priest. Was to bring on the lesson that sin is what separates sin severs the connection sin severs the circulation in the symbolic in the sanctuary system the life the life is in the blood when you sever the circulation you know, you've got a knife through a jugular vein or an artery, the animal bleeds out and dies. Think about how horrible that was supposed to be for the person cutting the throat of the animal who may have raised that animal from birth. Okay. I've got three dogs at home. I can't, I can't even dream of putting a knife to their throat and cutting it. I would, have, if I had to do that once, it would be enough. Lesson learned. I hope. And yet, the more they did it, It just became rote, all right, slash away, slash away, rivers of blood. And are we to believe that God delighted in that? No. Come on. It was for a purpose. The sacrificial system was to teach a lesson, and that's why it was done away with after Calvary. The the lesson had, it, it was all pointing to the sacrifice on Calvary. The entire sacrificial system, the entire sanctuary system was pointing to Calvary. And once Calvary had happened, the lesson was learned. There was no longer need for the system, no longer need for the, the theater, the theatrical production. The veil was rent. The, 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 the veil blocking the view from the holy place into the most holy place was torn. It's the only thing that God destroyed in the sanctuary it was the veil. It's because Christ had now removed the veil and, and sh- it now shows us a true character of who and what God is, God who's willing to allow his created beings to murder him and not use his power to stop it.
1: Also showed the true
0: character of Satan.: It showed the true character of Christ, and it showed the true character of Satan. All these things were revealed to the onlooking universe.
1: But Friday's lesson, in that quote from Sister White, she explains.
0: Read it, please.
1: Isaac was a figure of the Son of God who was offered a sacrifice for the sins of the world. God would impress upon Abraham the gospel of salvation to man. He, in order to do this and make the truth a reality to him as well as to test his faith, he required him to slay his darling Isaac. And all the sorrow and agony that Abraham experienced or endured through that dark and fearful trial were for the purpose of deeply impressing upon his understanding the plan of salvation for man.
0: It's well said by Sister White, and I'm glad the lesson included it. Consider this quote: Three days the Father traveled with the Son, having sufficient time to reason and to doubt if he was if he to doubt God if he was disposed to doubt." But he did not distrust God. He did not now reason that the promise would be fulfilled through Ishmael, for God plainly told him through Isaac should the promise be fulfilled. Abraham believed Isaac was the son of the promise. He also meant that God meant just what He said when He bade him to go off, to go offer him as a burnt offering. He staggered not at the promise of God, but believed the God who, in His providence, had given Sarah a son in her in her old age. And who required him to take his son's life could also give that life again and bring Isaac up from the dead. We talked about this earlier. Abraham left the servants by the way and proposed to go alone to his son to worship some distance from them. He would not permit his servants to accompany them, lest their love for Isaac lead them to prevent him from carrying out what God commanded him to do. That's planning, folks. That's premeditation. When you think that you well know, i i better I better leave these guys here because they, they love Isaac too and I don't want them to intervene with me with what I've got to do he took the wood from the hands of the servants laid it upon the shoulders of his son he also took the fire and the knife he was prepared to execute the dreadful mission given to him of God father and son walked on together this is from stories of redemption page 81 I'm sure this is quoted in other places as well. It's probably from patriarchs and prophets also. Okay, so we've we've gotten a little bit of perspective from Abraham. Now put yourself in Isaac's shoes. This guy was young, full of life, probably somewhere between 12 and 20 years old, uh, in the full vigor of youth. How many of you think he could have taken a 120-year-old man in a wrestling match or simply outrun him? It would have been no contest, please.
1: And to think his whole life he was taught that he was the promised
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know. He wasn't left in the dark. Uh, I doubt he was left in the dark about uh, the prophecies and, and what what uh, the history of his birth, and the miraculous uh, means with which it occurred, the history of Ishmael and the promise of the coming Messiah through his lineage Yeah.
4: also shows the implicit trust that
0: he had in his father.: in his father, exactly, and that's why, that's why he is a type of a Christ from a miraculous birth and the implicit trust willing to die. Okay, and there's there's fantastic lessons here in the fact that Abraham was not allowed to kill Isaac because God did not kill his son in Calvary.
4: His own faith in God.
0: Isaac? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. His faith in, in in his father, his his temporal father Abraham, and his heavenly father. Absolutely. I mean one you, you have to marvel at the devotion of of Isaac to Abraham to just say Tie me up and and put me on the altar and make it quick. Consider this. uh, This is from Patriarchs and Prophets 152. Yet none but God can understand how great the Father's sacrifice was in yielding up his son from death. Abraham desired that none but God should witness the parting scene and bade his servants stay behind, saying, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Wood was laid upon Isaac, the one to be offered. Father took the fire knife, and together they ascended toward the mountain summit. The young man silently wondering whence, so far from folds and flocks, the offering was to come. Right? Trudging up a, up a mountain with a stack of wood on your shoulders. There should, should be an animal around here somewhere. When we usually sacrifice, we've got a going on all kinds of questions running through his mind at last he spoke my father behold the fire in the wood but where's the lamb and the burnt offering oh what a test this was how the endearing words my father pierced abraham's heart not yet he could not tell him now my son he said god will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering at the appointed place, they built the altar and laid, altar, laid the wood upon it. Then, with a trembling voice, Abraham unfolded to his son the divine message. It was with terror and amazement that Isaac learned his fate, but he offered no resistance. He could have escaped his doom as he chosen to do so. The grief-stricken old man, exhausted in the struggle of those terrible three days, could not have opposed the will of vigorous youth. But Isaac had been trained from childhood to be ready, to ready, trusting obedience. And as the purpose of God was opened and opened before him, he yielded a willing submission. He was a sharer in Abraham's faith, and he felt that he was honored to be called to give his life as an offering for God. He tenderly seeks to lighten the father's grief and encourages his nerveless hands to bind the cords that would confine him to the altar. And now the last words of love are spoken, the last tears are shed, and the last embrace is given father lifts a knife to slay the son, and suddenly his arm is stayed. The angel of the God calls out to the patriarch of heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Quickly he answers, here am I, and again the voice is heard. Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld from me thy son, thy only son. It's quite a story. Why? Why do you think God issued such a difficult command? To teach him that the sacrifice, Christ was about to make, Abraham test his faith. To test Abraham's faith. Um. Again, was the was the test for God's? Uh, God's uh, knowledge and understanding, or perhaps for Abraham's, yes.
3: The whole lesson of Abraham is all about learning the process of learning to trust God. Okay, first he had to leave his family, and he trusted God there. Then he went down to the promised uh, to the promised land. There was a famine there. Okay, but he didn't trust God there and he went down to to Egypt yeah. and he messed up with the king and yeah. all of that okay and so he learned that hey, I didn't do what was right and he went back to the promised land and then he waited a number of years he still hadn't learned the per- perfect trust
0: yeah, I like where you're going See, keep, okay. keep on back so he
3: didn't learn the perfect trust and he failed again in not trusting God to fulfill his promise with um, Sarah. With Sarah. Yeah. Okay. And so he realized again his failure and he saw the results in his own home and his own life and his own children, child and whatever because of that lack of trust.
0: Uh, you're, you're ahead of me in the notes. Good. So, it
3: so then, finally, now, again, uh, through the years, however many years it was, okay, and he kind of now he's very old, okay. So in his la- latter years, that he had this tr- uh, test again. God knew by this time he had learned that perfect trust, and that's what God is trying to do in us.
0: Right. He, he A lifetime of, of, yeah.
3: Are we going to trust him through all these different phases of our life so that one day he'll be able to say to the universe, they're sealed, they're done, they're my kids.
0: Okay. well said. So some evidence to support what she's saying. Uh, 3SG, what is that? Spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. Page 106. Again, the Lord saw fit to test the faith of Abraham by a most fearful trial. If he had endured the first test and had patiently waited for the promise to be fulfilled in Sarah and had not taken Hagar as his wife, he would not have been subjected to the closest test that was ever asked of man. Let that breathe a little bit. If he had not taken Hagar as his wife or as his concubine, mistress or pick your portmanteau. if he had not taken hagar and fathered ishmael he would not have been asked to sacrifice isaac according to this author
4: yes
3: so what does that tell us about our own experience god sometimes takes over trial over and over and over he,
0: yeah yeah it's to circle back to the same same ground the same testing and
3: we can be trusted well it's if we can learn the lesson the first time hopefully we won't have to go through
0: that it's to eradicate these impurities in our character which we don't even know exist it it's like a refiner refining silver you 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 subject it to heat and let it cool and oh there's more some more impurities and you you repeat the process and repeat that the more you repeat the process the more impurities are eradicated from the uh, metal have a hand here does it ever say anywhere
5: with ellenwater or anything i mean i can only imagine if if they're going to do this horrible thing that isaac and that they're both that they're both wondering why, why what you know they're they're seeking out to God. saying don't don't let this happen. You know don't make me do this or whatever. I mean I I I, I would will think that if I was my kid that I had been asked to do. Does it ever? I mean, and God tells us to reach out to Him and He'll answer our prayers. You know that we're supposed to talk to Him. And I mean, I guess I wonder even if they had a lesson to teach the universe, did they ever get any comfort along the way knowing that. That God said,
0: "I've got a plan." You know, you're, did they did they always think they were going to have to do that? Um, I don't know. I'm not aware of anything uh, outlining any details like what you're talking about. Um, I think Abraham, when he says the Lord will provide himself uh, a lamb, an offering, the Jewish word for himself, it can be read, "The Lord will provide Himself." as an offering. So not f- for himself but the Lord will provide himself. Literally, the Lord will provide himself the offering, which is exactly what happened. Eventually, God provided himself via his his son Jesus as the offering to restore mankind. Um so Abraham had that that kind of a faith, and I don't think he was just trying to keep Isaac from getting afraid and and running off the mountain by telling him that.
5: Well I think they both had that kind of faith.
0: Yes. And even and even if that was what was required, they had they had that kind of faith in God like um we read earlier. Uh Abraham reasoned that if if he took Isaac's life that the Lord would could easily resurrect him. Couldn't and it's true, couldn't he? <laughs> he could have resurrected Isaac if, if he'd required the sacrifice. But the point wasn't the requiring of the sacrifice. The point was to eradicate the, the distrust, the distrust that had developed in in Abraham, trying to take things in, into his own, trying to control outcomes, which we all do.
5: So, is the lesson there that? That's the kind of God that Satan would want us to think that we
0: have, but, but, but it's not the kind of God he is. He would never ask us to do something like that. Well, no. It, the less would, God may ask us to do things so, something like that. He would not allow us to go through with it.
5: That's what I mean. The
4: result
0: was not. I mean. the, the pagan God would have required a, a literal sacrifice. There would have, There would have been no staying of the execution. There would have been no ram caught in a thicket
1: along that line, that since it was common to sacrifice human offerings in, in the public...
0: In some cultures, yes. Still is.
1: Right, but Abraham was a well-respected man in the area, mm-hmm. considered like a prince. If he had killed his son, what would the world, or the people around had a picture of what kind of God he worshipped? And, well, that's where I was
0: yeah, that's just one of the reasons why the sacrifice wasn't allowed to continue. I don't think it's the main reason, but it's certainly one of them because it would have affected the 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 culture surrounding Abraham.
1: The God, what the fish
2: people?
0: The- yes, that that's the main reason because it would it would have affected the kind of belief in the God that uh, Abraham worshipped.
2: Even for us today, we read there where well, he did
1: sacrifice his son.
0: Right, what- and and even if God resurrected him, uh-huh. <laughs> then then we would read what we've, what most of Christianity's read into the Calvary uh, event anyway, that God killed his son on the cross. Okay, there are Adventist publications that state quite clearly God killed his own son on the cross. How perverted is that? I mean, how satanic is that?
2: And don't you think this story was told far and wide afterwards? I mean, if you look at even what he did in Egypt with the plagues, he was constantly, constantly trying to contrast... His nature with the nature of these pagan gods. And so they were able to tell this story with that outcome again, over and over, as a contrast to typical pagan appeasement. I also wanted to say um, weren't we given some inspired insight that Abraham had been asking or begging God for additional insight into? the plan of salvation, the relationship with God and his son, and those kind of things, um, or insight into what this promise-redeemer experience was going to be?
0: Yes, Abraham was constantly seeking to, to become closer to God. And, and as a finite being seeking an infinite God, God decided to use this as an educational moment of what God himself was going to eventually go through on on a a limited limited basis, uh, because we can't the sacrifice of Christ was infinite the 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 restraint that God showed on that day at Calvary was infinite to restrain yourself while your created beings are murdering your son. Yeah, all all sorts of uh, valuable lessons uh, throughout uh, thread, threads running throughout the story. So the lesson asks, and I'm I'm sure what day we're on Sunday, I think. Yeah, Mount Moriah. Um, after all, what is faith if not trust in what we don't see or fully understand? Also, biblical faith is not so much about our capacity to give God and to sacrifice for him, though that has a role, no doubt, referencing Romans 12.1, but it's about our capacity to trust him and to receive his grace while understanding just how undeserving we are. Just how undeserving we are is emphasized, and the emphasized emphasis is mine. I do not like language like this. I think it's diagnostic. Deserve has nothing to do with it. Does a cancer patient deserve a remedy? Or is healing a cancer patient simply the right thing to do? What about the cancer patient who has developed cancer through their own, their own life, their own violations of the law of health? Do they deserve a remedy? Or do they, do they just deserve to die? A physician who is who does what's right because it's right heals both the cancer patient who developed it through no through some genetic hereditary cancer or through no fault of their own being exposed to environmental toxin, or they try to heal the free pack a day smoker. You do what God gives us grace because it's the right thing to do based on His character. And what's another word for the right thing to do? it's the just thing to do god's justice is doing what's right because it's right not because we deserve it or don't deserve it the idea when you start talking about deserving you immediately go down an imposed law and frank, and frankly i think that the language of deserve uh shows a is diagnostic of an imposed law mindset deserve has nothing to do with it the teacher's notes unpack the the, um, the overarching view of atonement in, in this story, uh, the significance of atonement. The reference to atonement is already present in the notion of test, The meaning of the Hebrew verb nissa, quote, tested, embraces two opposite ideas. On the one hand, it concerns judgment, okay? Not really. Again, what is Judgment. God quote tests in order to quote know what is in your heart. Really, is that what is that God's function of testing, so He can know what's in your heart? Come on, it's. Does anyone else get depressed reading the hearing this stuff? I mean, it it. Fifteen years ago, I would hear this stuff say, "Mm, "Hmm, well said." Now it just makes me sick. It, It it pains me to read this stuff coming from our own publications it's difficult god and i'm an omniscient god god who knows who the past and the future are alike they're unfolded to be to him he's not constrained by time he can view all points in time with clarity he designed how reality works are we to believe that he needs to test us humans in order to know what we're going to do or how we're going to think, or how we're going to behave. Come on. We should be past this. When we're we're referencing this stuff, the scripture says that those who are still feeding on spiritual milk are not acquainted with teachings about righteousness. We should be well beyond discussion of this. An all-knowing God knows what knows the end from the beginning and he he doesn't need to test us for his benefit the testing's for our benefit and for the onlooking universe's benefit and for those around us because we're being watched whether we like it or not and how we react and how we behave and how we treat others is being observed by the righteous and the wicked alike and it won't be till we get to heaven till we understand how just how interwoven and how interconnected it is we may we may find someone in heaven that was our mortal enemy on earth and they'll come up to us and say you know what the way you treated me that day the way, the, the kind word you said to me got me thinking and i couldn't i couldn't sleep that night and i went on my own journey and here we are
2: he, stated, he tests us to change what's in our hearts, instead of to know what's in our hearts.
0: Yeah, I think that's—I think it's a much better way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the testing is not to know what's in our hearts; it's to purify our hearts. It's to eradicate the 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 nature of sin and selfishness and, and r- write Christ's character in it. <clears throat> Monday's lesson: God will provide. Once again, I didn't need to worry about running out of time or running out of material. I didn't run out of time. So in the first paragraph of Monday's lesson, author references Genesis 22, 8. Uh, God will provide himself a burnt offering. Okay, I like the lesson's reg- point regarding the Hebrew word provide, uh, which it means provide himself. We talked about this a little bit earlier. And isn't that what God did? He literally provided himself as a sacrifice. God himself was on the cross that day. Make no mistake about it. Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the Father and I are one. The entire chapter of John, the entire Gospel of John, is a reference to God being on the cross. You can also reference Matthew 128, excuse me, 123, Matthew 2819, John 18. Uh Philippians 2, 5 through 6, God was on the cross that day, reconciling the world to himself. Consider the following. This is from Patriarch's Proverbs 155. Heavenly beings were witnesses of the scene at the faith of Abraham, the submission of Isaac. Heavenly scenes were witnesses of the scene as the faith of Abraham and the submission of Isaac were tested. Trials were far more severe than that which had been brought upon Adam. Okay, let that breathe a little bit. Adam, don't eat the fruit. Abraham, kill your son. Adam, just don't eat the fruit. Okay, which is the more severe trial? Yeah. Compliance with the prohibition laid upon our first parents involved no suffering, but the command to Abraham demanded the most agonizing sacrifice. All heaven beheld with wonder and admiration of Abraham's unfaltering obedience. All heaven applauded his fidelity. Satan's accusations were shown to be false. Okay, can't you see some heavenly counsel just like the one with Job? Ah, Abraham, he's not faithful. You, you, you've asked him to give up the give up that child of the promise. You'll see he prefers my methods. Okay, yeah, I I can Scripture silent on it, but I can I can imagine that there was some sort of an accusation about Abraham's character because he'd already he'd already taken things into his hands more than once. He was either accusing Abraham to other angels or to the heavenly councils themselves. He prefers my methods. He lied about his wife. Took a mistress. He, Abraham's mine. All heaven, Satan's accusations were shown to be false. God declared to his servant, Now I know that thou fearest God, notwithstanding Satan's charges, seeing that thou hast not withheld held thy son, thine only son, from me. God's covenant confirmed Abraham by an oath before the intelligences of other worlds testified that obedience would be rewarded. It had been difficult for angels to grasp the mystery of redemption. To comprehend that the commander of heaven, the son of God, must die for guilty man. When the command was given to Abraham to offer of his son, the interest of all heavenly beings was enlisted. With intense earnestness, they watched each step in the fulfillment of this command and when to Isaac's question, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham made an answer, God will provide himself a lamb. And when the father's hand was stayed and was about to slay the son, and the ram which God provided was offered in the place of Isaac, then light was shed upon the mystery of redemption. And even the angels understood more clearly the wonderful provision that God had made for man's salvation. Thoughts? Okay, we've unpacked this. And and to think think about trying to read this, think about trying to understand this story Without without having the benefit of a great controversy perspective, okay, having having the perspective of the onlooking intelligence of the universe, trying and, and God laying out evidence all along the way, not not telling of intelligent free beings, this is the way it is, believe it or else. No, God's giving evidence. God's giving evidence of His. Of the transformational process of, of uh, removing impurities from our characters, the transformational process of leading Job and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by faith, and the things that they struggled with, and intelligent agencies and intelligent onlooking intelligences are are learning. They're weighing the evidence for themselves, and they and they come up with more questions. This is how God. This is how God's government functions. It does not function like human governments. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't function like Satan's governments, which are the same things because all kingdoms of the earth belong to Satan. Thank you. Uh, one more, real quick. Teacher's Edition uh, from the lesson asks, quote, what is, what, are the, what is the theological and prophetic significance of the failed sacrifice? And he uses, that's a literal quote from the lesson. What is the theological and prophetic significance of the failed sacrifice? Was it a failed sacrifice? No. It was the most successful one in all of history.
1: Remember that Abraham went through all the emotional agony. He didn't know that God, yeah,
0: (laughs) yes, and so did Isaac. Yeah, brief, briefly, uh, you know, uh, compressed. But when Isaac finally heard what was going on, it wasn't a failed sacrifice. That's the theological significance: is it wasn't a failed sacrifice. It was a profoundly
2: successful one. And like what you just read, just like other events, or the penal model that make God look so awful, it was a, a precious gift, a revelation of his character to the universe, to us. It served keeping the promise of the seed and the, the avenue for Messiah. It was all good.
0: Yes yeah it, there was not there was no failure about it uh let's close with prayer gracious father we thank you for the um the lessons that you've set forth for us in the story of abraham and isaac uh and the uh request to offer him as a sacrifice and the the greater lesson of what you uh yourself went through uh offering up your son as our, our remedy for the sin condition and we we look forward to pondering these great truths
2: throughout uh, eternity to come. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.